0: What is it exactly that we're looking at here?
1: These young women
2: walked into what they all had reason to believe were business meetings. I can still see it, the hotel room, the floor plan. He kept trying to touch me.
1: I asked him to leave me alone. Instead, they say he met them with
2: threats and sexual demands. I was young, scared.
3: Hi. We're from the New York Times. I believe he used to work for Harvey Weinstein.
2: People have tried to write this story before. He kills it every time.
0: Harvey adamantly denies any allegation of assault.
2: He played people. He was a master manipulator. Will you give me just one
0: chance to talk to you? Are you sure that this isn't just young women who want to sleep with a movie producer to try to get ahead?
2: This is bigger than Weinstein. This is about the system protecting abusers.
0: You have to
4: imagine that every call you make is being recorded and you're being followed.
3: Can you imagine how many Harveys there are out there?
0: You want to get me killed.
3: Do you wish you hadn't signed
1: up
2: for this story? Do you? No. The only way these women are gonna go on the record
3: is if they all jump together. We're all here, Harvey. Who
4: have you talked to?
1: Hello and welcome to Killer Casting. I am Lisa Zambetti. I am a casting director. I cast for TV and film and video games and commercials. And and I do this podcast because I want to, because I need to. And I need to have my wingman all the way from Australia with me, Dean (laughs) Laughin.
0: Good morning. Uh, Well, it's morning for me. Uh, Good morning, Lisa, and uh, good evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world, listening to this at whatever time it is. Uh, A pleasure to be here. Thank you, Lisa.
1: Oh my God, Dean. We've had I've had the honor to have many guests on this show, but oh my effing God, we have some people I can't even believe are here with us. And I can't wait for our audience to meet them and hear their stories. Um it's, it's, just special, so,
0: isn't it? it's is, really special. special. It's
1: I mean, because everybody <laughs> knows different. last time we recorded, we were talking about the movie she said and how you know important that was for me, you know, personally and professionally and aesthetically and, and everything. And we have, some very, we have a very f- great follow-up episode now, and I'd love to have my guests introduce themselves. I'm going to start with Rowena. Rowena, would you please introduce yourself?
3: Of
4: course. Hi, everyone. My name is Rowena Chu. I'm delighted to be here today. Uh, my story features in the movie She Said, I am a Weinstein survivor. I worked for Harvey Weinstein when I was 24 years old um, in 1998. Uh, I was assaulted in a hotel at the Venice Film Festival, uh, assaulted by Harvey Weinstein, and Zelda Perkins and I, the other assistant at the time, uh, ended up signing an NDA uh, with Harvey, a highly egregious NDA that we then subsequently kept silent for 20 years before Jodie Cantor came and knocked on my door in 2017. And I'm really happy to be here today with the two actors that play me, um, Ashley Chu and Angela Yeo, who will be introducing themselves shortly.
1: Yes, so welcome Rowena. Thank you. thank you for taking the time. I know you've you've had a whirlwind press junket um, to promote, she said, which everybody should go out and watch. I know that it's streaming right now, but if if it is playing in your town, please please take someone with you, go see it, hold hands, cry, you know, debrief about the film afterwards. But yes, joining us today are also two actors who I'm so thrilled. Angela, please introduce yourself.
2: Hi, yes, I'm Angela Yeo. I play Rowena Chu in the film She Said. Um, Before becoming an actor, I worked as a journalist in Australia, Brazil, France, and China. And so it's quite special for me to be part of a film that celebrates the power of good journalism. And I've always been interested in telling stories and getting at the truth. And I did that as a journalist, and now I get to do that as an actor. Uh, And yeah, currently working across film, TV, and theatre. And it was, yeah, it was a real special honor to get to be part of this film.
1: Welcome, welcome. And we also have Ashley. Ashley, introduce yourself.
3: Hi, I'm Ashley Chu. Um, I'm an actress and in She Said, the film, I play Rowena as she was younger in the 90s, um, sort of as things were happening um, with Weinstein. Uh, I am an actress based in New York. I work a lot in theater. And this was my first foray into film, which was very exciting for me. Um, And it was an amazing blessing to be a part of the film to shoot it all over the world and to be in the company of these two incredible women. It's just it's been a real honor.
1: Welcome, welcome, Phillip Bay Area girl. I'm from the Bay Area too. Are you really? <laughs> yes. We'll yes.
0: talk about that. The, the, the accents. Are listening to me with my uh, Australian ears, I'm I'm listening to Angela and Rowena, and they're kind of like <laughs> if you, if I if I looked away, they're kind of pretty much the same. And then I'm and then actually and I'm like wait, what? Oh, okay. Good job on the Good job on the accent. Okay.
1: So I'm not sure when this episode will drop, but as we speak right now, the jury is deliberating on Harvey right. Weinstein. Once again, right. he, uh, he was convicted in New York, um, for sexual assault and other crimes. And he, now he has also stood trial in Los Angeles. And in fact, yes. when I saw, she said, um, when I went to the screening that universal had, we're going to worry that you attended, um, witnesses were coming forward and testifying. And it was a very, I know it was a very emotional night because people had been on the stand testifying. Um, What is it like for all three of you to know that he is, you know, he's still on trial. He's still, you know, people are still coming forward with their stories. And um, just what does that feel like to have Mm -hmm. a film out at the same time?
4: Um, I want to share that when I attended the L.A. premiere, um, I was expecting to testify that following Wednesday and the L.A. premiere took place on a Friday. And so it was a very um, strange experience to me to be sitting in the movie that was made about the story, but thinking that I would be going ahead in a few days and actually taking part in the real life story as he went on trial in New York. I mean, sorry, in L.A., Um, I, at that time, was the uh, only person who was called to the stand who was also involved in the movie. So I think that was a weird intersect for me. Um, I think in general, I had already been finding the film as a reflection of a real life story to be um, jarring, if I may say that, which isn't to say that the film isn't an amazing piece of um fictional work and an amazing testament to, you know, women who have worked extremely hard to break the Weinstein story. But I think there's always a situation where if you are a real life person and there's being a fictional story being made about your real life story, Mm. um, that is always going to feel like a um, odd experience. That is always going to feel in some way surreal and jarring.
1: I can tell you as a casting director, whenever I'm working on something that is about a real person it is such a huge responsibility you're trying to get it right Um, and that must have been on your shoulders as well Angela and Ashley. Angela do you want to jump in?
2: Yeah absolutely it felt like an enormous responsibility to be playing a real life living survivor and especially I, I was fortunate to get to meet Rowena before shooting and and just seeing just the you know being so inspired by by her and and her intellect and eloquence and and warmth it just i i i knew that i had to do everything i could to to do justice to her story and um it yeah it it's and i i mean when i auditioned for this project i didn't know what it was it was very confidential so um it's just trusting the mystery and it just felt like a really um a really special opportunity to get to meet rowena to get to be part of this film and but yeah, definitely was terrified at many points that um, you know, would, would I be able to honor Rowena's story and also alongside such a phenomenal cast, because there are eight main characters and seven of them are being played by veteran actors with 20, 30, 40 years experience, Oscar nominated, Emmy winning, and and then and then there's me, uh, an unknown, um, relatively newer actor. And so it it definitely was. Terrifying. And I also take comfort in the you know hearing people like Kerry Mulligan, who's an actor who I really admire, saying that she takes roles that she doesn't she isn't sure if she can do. Um mm-hmm. because that, that's more interesting to to go into that challenge and to grow as an artist and to know it's a collaborative process, so it's not just on one person's shoulders to, to bring that performance. It's with the director, with with everyone on set, with 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 the collaboration of the whole filmmaking team to make sure that we do what is needed to serve the story. So yeah. Ashley.
3: Angela had the chance to meet Rowena before filming, which I think is um, interesting because I actually went the opposite way. And like Angela, I didn't know what I was auditioning for. And um, in a way, my process working on the film felt a little bit product oriented because everything I shot for Rowena's story was non-dialogue and it was very quick sort of visual images of where she was emotionally at certain Mm -hmm. moments. And so even in the audition, it felt very um, product-oriented. We want the visual of you crying, having this experience. And um, while Angela got to meet Rowena, I didn't. And I read all of these interviews. But like you said, it's a great responsibility to portray someone real. And I, I honestly didn't know how to approach it. And there was no one who was saying to me, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that. So I actually waited until... Rowena reached out to me. I assumed at some point we would meet, but I didn't know how she felt about the film being made or what went into acquiring life rights or who gave permission to what and how she maybe felt. So I just was diligent in reading the interviews she was putting out, the articles she was writing, anything that was televised. Um, There's a lot on YouTube. So there had been extensive coverage and I got snippets of her story from that, but I didn't meet her beforehand. Um, and I've loved meeting her since, and it's been wonderful and almost like doubles down on a sense of responsibility in which my part has already been played. So in some way it like alleviates the pressure because I don't have to then perform that enacting of responsibility after I'm not meeting her before I have to portray her. Oh, okay. So that pressure is lifted off, but in meeting her after, I almost it it makes me question and think back to like whether I did was enough to in some ways honor her.
2: Well, I like, to that yeah, I can, yeah, 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 because I feel like just it it is the one slice of which is the the part that needs to serve the rest of the film, which is the traumatic story and and Rowena and all the survivors only get a few minutes to, to tell their story, so it it, it did feel like how. And it would be other stories because this story is really centered on the journalists doing their investigation and each survivor is bringing their, their part to that. Um, And, and speaking of journalists, I think, I don't know whether it's a conventional thing, but because I used to work as a journalist, I'm used to reaching out to people and saying, will you speak to me? And if they say no, then I'll respect that. But I was, I was lucky to, um, yeah, that that Rowena did say yes. And we were able to have a conversation, but I know that some people choose not to do that or like, I, I don't know. I think, I think bringing my journalism to that just made it feel like it, if i if she was willing to speak to me then i would want to hear anything she wanted me to know before playing this part
1: but that's something that's very fascinating about your experiences as actors. You probably sent in a self self tapes, right? There was nothing live. You didn't do anything live because it was pandemic right. and that's the new normal. But, I, and I couldn't remember because I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen the film in a few weeks and I had COVID <laughs> between that. And I couldn't remember actually, if you had scripted lines and, and I thought, I don't think she did, but it feels like you did. It feels like you were speaking and, and Angela, obviously had scripted lines in order to uh, audition with. So I just wanted to know just your process, um, Ashley and then Angela, if you don't have scripted lines and they're giving you a scenario, I'm sure it's like some sort of scenario in the script that you're supposed to play. That is so hard. Are you in your mind saying things in your mind or how do you you said it was very product oriented, which you, you don't mean product in the way that some of our listeners might mean, but there's process and there's product. So effect, they were going for an effect, right? In those scenes. Right. So how did you prepare for those and um, in, in your audition process? And then I'll throw it to Angela.
3: Sure. I had, it. it said, my manager called me at the time and said, this is an essential non-speaking emotional scene, but it's essential and it's non-speaking. So the audition had a very like slice of life. That's what they wanted it was a, a d- deeply emotional scene in which you're doing an everyday thing. And it gets you extremely emotional to the point of crying. For example, you're folding laundry of someone who's passed and you pull up their sweater as you're folding laundry. And you remember, and you hold it to your face and you cry. So it was very <clears throat> apparent that it was product quote unquote, um, oriented in that sense and that they weren't telling you what was going on or why. So I just, and I had no idea what the project was. So the stakes were almost not high in a way, like Mm -hmm. it felt very freeing because I could do whatever I wanted and I didn't know what I was doing this for. So I couldn't have possibly made up a scenario where I was putting a ton of pressure on myself. So I, did something for myself that I knew would kind of trigger those things in me. And I just like kind of hit record and did it a couple of times and it was real enough. And, and then I got the job and they also had me do a fake sort of monologue in a British accent, just in case. Mm. (laughs) Um, And it's actually funny because in speaking with Rowena, I said, you know, it's so funny, Maria, on set had one point just kind of laughingly said, you're not British, so you don't have a real accent and you're not going to get to say anything, which I later found out Rowena was very specific about wanting a British Chinese actress to play her and wanting that actress to also, because she's British, have that real accent. So I don't know if that went into sort of the thought process of all of it, but I think Maria was aware at that point that that's probably something Rowena wanted too.
2: Right, right, right. Angela? Yeah, um, I was wondering whether to comment on that last thing because I know that Rowena did want that and that was something that, that casting and the producers did really do their best to do. It, it, we found out that there was a British actor who didn't get their US visa in time, which was why. Um, but it, yeah, so, which was why the wonderful Ashley got to, got to perform this role and really I'm uh, uh, trusting that the universe, like it works out as, as it's meant to. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I I... The audition I I got to do was a um a, a scene where a woman was telling a very difficult story to a stranger and including describing an attempted suicide. So it 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 felt like they wouldn't give me any information. I just was like, Can you at least tell me the genre? Like, but they said, No, your natural instincts. And so when I read the scene, it felt like what was between the words was more important than the words themselves. So if, if I'm saying a line like, one one time I went to a hotel dot 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 that night, dot 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 like it, it, it I needed to see and know what what was happening without actually saying what happened. Um, and so I did actually um interesting to hear about Ashley's process because I know that i I did it taped it over and over and over again until I didn't even really know what I was doing anymore because I just was like, no, it's just push it <laughs> further. like, what what is? what is each thought and what does she think? Like it's all in between the words was, was what I was convinced um, I had to do, whether it's, yeah, when you share a difficult story at, with a stranger, you're not sure whether they'll understand. You're not sure whether, yeah, it, you, you, you know, that there'll be judgments and, and it's like taking all that into account and, and wanting to tell the story, but also not sure whether it will be received. And, and so it was, yeah, it was a scene that, that I guess tested what, what needed to be done in the film. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I, and what I, I, afterwards my agent helped me choose the take and fortunately it was it was it was enough to convince um maria and the producers that i could i could do this
1: yes so. You both were so wonderful. Dean, I'm going to let you in here in a second. But but it is so funny because there are so many victims in the film. And so you do have just short times with everyone. But it feel, but And so you have to be that much more skilled of an actor so that we really feel the breadth and weight of the story. And I just remember, Angela, you have a scene in, in, a, in a cafe, I guess, um, opposite um, Zoe Kazan. Did I get that right? Okay. Yes. Um. And just the way that you're sitting, just the tension in your shoulders, just the way this, the angle that they're shooting from, I mean, it's still conveyed just... Years of your suffering. I mean, it's it was just such a remarkable performance. And the same thing with you, Ashley. We don't, you know, it, it, I feel like you were in more of the film than you probably were because of how indelible the acting was, how deep, how specific it was. I mean, it just really rocked me. And I know that it probably really triggered many, many victims watching it, and which is not a good thing, but it, it does speak to the authenticity um, of your performances. And
4: Rowena, I don't know if you wanted to chime in on that at all, but Yes, I absolutely echo uh, the sort of emotional impact of both of those performances. Uh, In fact, um, as the only uh, story of colour within this movie, um, I've had a lot of Asian sexual assault survivors write to me about the movie, um, as I have done through the movement, really. uh, And they all speak of the power of Angela's performance and Ashley's performance. And I think it's really important for Asian representation to see Asian faces on screen talking about a subject as taboo as sexual assaults, Um, I've spoken in many interviews about how uh, it's not common in our culture, certainly not to have someone speak about it publicly, perhaps not even privately, but certainly not to have someone speak about it in such a public forum. And therefore, I think that the onus of representation is even more important in the sense that we represent not only sexual assault survivors and that subject is difficult enough and taboo enough in its own right but then on top of that we represent asian sexual assault survivors which is a, almost a double whammy in the sense that the culture is silent on the subject and then in general society is silent on this subject yeah, yeah. absolutely Deeni.
0: yeah I, I i'm listening to the three of you speak about <laughs> the real rowena and and then the two rowenas in the film it's um it's harrowing, and and just recently, uh, in the last couple of days, uh, Rowena, you're 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 British. Just in the Guardian, I read in the last couple of days uh, where Zelda was uh, ha- has had a couple of articles in, in the paper talking about the process that she had to go through. And what struck me about it was that you know I I I, I can't imagine if you just rewind and you think about yourself as a twenty something year old and as portrayed in the film. Uh, you know, I, I'm an Australian male. So, but I just rewind and think about myself at, at the age of early twenties, how naive and how trusting and and just how, you know, how much you trust in the world. And yet, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the feelings that I get were, you know, just a betrayal and of, of, okay, I'm in this work environment and I, I'm I'm excited and it's, it's Hollywood and it's the big time and so on. And then what happens? And then there's like a disbelief, and confusion it's like that seven stages of grief kind of process you've got mm-hmm. to go through just to try and understand what's actually happening to you it mm-hmm. it must be incredibly confusing and and incredibly hard to go through i mean as you said for anybody let alone um you know the specifics mm-hmm. of your own situation i just it just boggles my mind that something mm-hmm. like that can happen and that so many people would protect that person if mm-hmm. yep, mm-hmm. they do
4: I'm going to specifically avoid using the word naive, but I want to bring it up because it's a word that's sometimes been applied to Zelda and I at 24 and 25. Um, and I think sometimes in the telling of our story, there's almost a conflict between portraying us as young women who were innocent and naive and taken advantage of by the system or portraying us as young women who were um Although new in our careers, nonetheless educated, um, uh, motivated, uh, able to advocate for ourselves, and wanting to fight, and I think that that side of the story sometimes isn't given enough credence. In the sense that yes, we we certainly were young. We were 24 and 25. We certainly had the system completely stacked against us. I mean, we didn't even have the money to pay our own lawyers. So we had very little power financially, both status-wise in our careers and in terms of you know we're too young, middle class recent grads going up against the most powerful man in hollywood so those odds were very much stacked against us but it isn't to say that as young women we didn't try very hard even back then to advocate for ourselves so in many ways i am and i know that zelda is too extremely proud of the clauses that we did get into the nda yes the nda was completely silenced yes we weren't even allowed to keep a copy of it and therefore for more than 20 years we weren't even able to talk about the content of that nda but now that the lid has been lifted there were horrific clauses that oppressed us of course you know those clauses that said we couldn't see a doctor or a therapist. But remember that we also managed to squeeze in their clauses that were intended to keep Harvey Weinstein in check. So that mm. he had to go to therapy and that he had to talk about, he had to go to a sex therapist, no less, because we didn't want him dodging the issue of why he had to be in therapy. Uh, we attempted to push a clause forward, which said he should always travel with two young women, not just one, um, mm. and that he would have to report himself to Michael Eisner at Disney, should he offend again. And I think that sometimes not enough attention is paid to the fact that it was incredibly difficult for two young women of very little power to get those clauses on paper. And yet we did did as a testament to how hard we fought in '98 to try to stop Harvey.
1: No, it's incredible mm, what yeah. you did. But but do you feel, Rowena? I mean, when I hear you saying that, the very cynical part of my brain is like, "Well, yeah, they put this in the the the, the writing, and they had no intention." following up. They had no intention of holding him to it. So who who did, who told you that he would be held accountable? I mean, who was supposed to be the person, you know, keeping him in
4: check? That is an absolutely excellent point. And I think that's where Zelda and I, um, were uh, young in our careers, and I, I suppose that's some of the naivety and the idealism. Um, idealism, yes. Idealism yes. is a much better word. Uh, uh, Zelda and I were idealistic, and I think we thought, well, we've got this legal agreement that we have to abide by, and in so many ways, we absolutely abided by the letter of it. As you know, as the film makes clear, I didn't speak to my husband for twenty years, and there's a legal agreement saying I can't speak to my husband. So I think about we the had case, much- not not that you didn't speak to your husband about the case. Sorry, <laughs> you couldn't speak to your husband. <laughs> about- <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. I should make that clear. I didn't talk to him for 20 years, yes. We were absolutely silent yeah, I, in a twenty-year marriage. I, 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 I get
0: I get I get that all the time, but it, that, to be fair it's just no, so. right. and thank you for that That's clarification. Right.
4: That makes <laughs> a lot more sense. Um but I think that um I think we had a lot more respect for the law that now as 40-something, you know, know, as women who are now 20 years on in a career, we realize that we were perhaps idealistic about how the law actually worked. And you're absolutely right because the um, document itself was not just a symbol of the oppression that Harvey imposed on us, but really the circle of enablers around him, be they accountants, lawyers, his board members, Bob Weinstein, who signed the checks, Steve Rutensky, who signed every page of my NDA. You know, all of these older white men in power were also very much complicit in our oppression. Mm-hmm. And I think that we overestimated the ability of the legal document to in any way hold weight because, you know, there are clauses in it that said that Zelda had to be involved in, you know, she had to attend his first session of sex therapy. Um, at the end of the what? day, it was an honesty, because um, she didn't, mm-hmm. she she knew Harvey well. She worked for oh. him for four years and she did not want him going to a therapist and saying, I have such a hard time as someone who always wants, you know, somebody always wants a piece of me. It's really difficult Mm -hmm. to be powerful. You know, she knew well that he may... Uh, hide the real reason why he's going to therapy. So she mm. tried to put things in there that would ensure that what we had fought so hard for would actually happen. But at the end of the day, it's an honesty and a trust system. Who's really going to be keeping an eye on Harvey? Who's going to be tracking the next time he offends, the next time a, a, a survivor um, gets a settlement from him? Because that's supposed to trigger a report to Michael Eisner. Who's actually going to oppose that? We're trusting the lawyers, the personal lawyers, like Steve Uten- who signed our document to keep an eye on Harvey. But that's assuming a high ethical and moral burden on the lawyers that um, were able to keep an eye on Harvey. And, of course, none of that happened.
0: Yeah, uh, Rowena, this is just so frustrating. Uh, you're talking about uh, uh, a moral burden on lawyers, right, who were paid by, paid by the offender. And I just think so, so. There's a there's a there's a concept, right? Which certainly in Australia, and I'm sure it's true, our, our justice system is based on the British one, which is that you can't contract outside of the law, right? So here you you guys ended up signing these uh, NDAs, which, on the face of it, now when you look at it, are completely uh, insane in terms of of the the conditions that were put on you that you couldn't see a therapist you couldn't talk about it you as you said you couldn't talk to your husband it is an absolute disgrace that there is an overarching legal framework in which this is even allowed right
4: like, like, it's i mean i'm crazy I find it completely shocking. One of the other things that Zelda and I did not know enough about, and we trusted the lawyers involved in the case to advise us, is what can be contracted and what can't be contracted. And that's really basic. But there were so many lawyers in the room that were at least 20 years older than us, that we assumed that if Allen & Overy, which was London's top law firm, and Mark Mansell, who was a senior man in the peak of his career, said that this could be contracted, we assumed that it could be. And maybe that was an incorrect assumption on our part. Um, And um, in any case, we didn't believe, we we were blindsided anyway by going into a conference room and having to negotiate for a non-disclosure agreement and a settlement agreement. We, again, idealistically, naively, whatever you want to call it, sort of believed the Hollywood movies, that we would report that Harvey had done this terrible thing in Venice and we would all end up in a courtroom. That was our vision. We did not Mm. envisage a closed-door settlement agreement. And that's one of the things that's very pernicious about a non-disclosure agreement, that they are frequent foist upon sexual assault survivors at a very vulnerable time when they're still kind of coming to grips with a Mm. a really traumatic event that has happened to them. And they've got any number of lawyers trying to tell them it's never going to work in court. Don't go to court. Don't make it public. Don't talk to the media. You know, go behind closed doors and go for this non-disclosure agreement. It's going to protect your privacy. It's going to be the best thing for you. And actually, I I believe that both Zelda Perkins and I obviously believe that's a lie because Zelda Mm. works on Can't Buy My Silence in order to convey to the wider community and the legal community in particular, the non-disclosure agreements aren't on the side of the survivor. But that your lawyer will tell you that this is the best thing for you, which was a great lie that we were told in '98. Because we can now see the trauma doesn't go away. Mm. My own lawyer advised me treat this time in your life as a black hole. The NDA enables you to draw a line under a traumatic incident and move on with your life. We understand a lot more about trauma now. There is no moving on if you silence something it will thrive in that silence if you mm-hmm. if you silence trauma it will thrive in the silence it won't just go away the more you bury something it doesn't mean it's going to die quietly it means it's going to keep rearing its ugly head until you end in suicide or until somebody tells a story on a public platform
0: thank you um, uh, uh, rowena thank you very much for yeah. exactly what you just said and and that is just i, I cannot echo enough what you just said that uh, Trauma unresolved is just trauma multiplied. And and the fact that the framework, the legal framework allows for that to happen is an absolute and utter disgrace. And it is, you know, old white men protecting other old white men. And even when they say they're acting for you, they're not and absolutely I just think it's disgraceful absolutely.
4: and so now we talk about the power of the Me Too, the transformational power of the media which it has been but we have a lot of work to do because harvey might be in jail and he might get a conviction in la next week that puts him further in jail but that's one person what about dismantling the system of enablers that still sits around anybody powerful who can still abuse in this way the lawyers are still out there they're still thriving the accountants are still out there they're still working in hollywood and in other mm-hmm. industries and so, until we get some sort of system systemic change uh, that dismantles the system of enablement that existed around people like Harvey Weinstein, you just have the risk that you'll get another Harvey Weinstein popping up again.
0: It's not even a risk. It's just, a, it's not a question of it. it's, a it's a question of when. Yes, exactly that's right. right. Well, that's
1: what I wanted to pivot to Angela and Ashley as two actors who are in the business right now. Do you have, not that I want you to have a big disclosure on this podcast, but do you have a sense of a power imbalance? What has been your experience in this industry? I know angela, you're 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 not new to this industry, but you're you're relatively new to this. And Ashley, you've been a performer since you were you know very young. I mean, have you experienced this sort of discomfort in some ways or or just if you wanted to share anything, I'd appreciate it
3: sure. Um, as primarily musical theater performer, I am currently 26. When I got out of college, I was 22 and I met, um, a much older, uh, musical theater composer, older by almost 20 years. And now I realized that he was heavily drinking when I knew him. Um, but there was a blurred line between what was me as a young singer learning from a talented writer and musician and what he thought was dating. Mm -hmm. Um, So boundaries not being set well, and me not being old enough and like having shed enough naivete to think, Oh, this is a working relationship. Um, And thankfully nothing graver than that happened, but, but the power and balance of what I knew even four years ago and what I definitely didn't know even four years ago and what he should have known and understood as a closer to middle-aged man who's been dating women, like the, just the amount of um, boundaries and respect that he would have for a young woman who's young and coming into the world and trying to understand things and learn things and the sort of guise of opportunity that then became dating Mm -hmm. is very strange to me because he's 20 years older than me and maybe shouldn't have done that. I don't, it's also a lack of how was I supposed to know that at 22? Is it the way that we talk to our young women? Is it what's been modeled for young women that if like an older someone with a little bit of experience takes interest in you, that that's something you should be grateful for? Like, where is the line between being grateful and being aware that something bizarre might be happening and that interest might be directed at you for sort of the wrong intentions? Um, so I don't think it's obviously specific to our industry, but it's the dynamic of relationship between Men and women, older and younger, and even racially, because it's something Rowena wrote about in her Times article of the four um sort of identity sectors that she had. One of them was race that she believes was preyed on by Harvey Weinstein. And later I found out that this composer dated a lot of Asian women. So that was also bizarre. And it like I'm I'm trying to say, it's it's the intersection of a whole bunch of our identities and how we're educated and cultivate as a society to understand what's appropriate and what's not and how we lack to educate young women on what is appropriate and how we lacked to educate men of all ages. Also sometimes on what is also appropriate on their part.
1: Absolutely. There were master manipulators out there just waiting to exploit that mentor mentee, um, relationship. Angela, do you want to chime in?
2: Yeah. I feel like we, you know, um, there's more space and vocabulary to have the conversations we need these days, and there's better awareness. And I suppose coming to acting as a second career after journalism, it's I guess I, I'd like to think that I I could um, you know that that I'm I'm more aware of these things, and also I feel like there's still a lot of work to do. I've been lucky to work with amazing teams that have been really respectful for the most part. I mean, one project I worked on, um, which is the baby for HBO, they even had um, bystander training for, for, for people to, to understand power dynamics and how you could be a good ally if you did see anything come up that was inappropriate. Um, so uh, I do know, though, that there was on one film project that I worked on, it was shortly after the New York Times article came out and the director and writer of this film spoke very loudly about how oh those women they just they they were doing it to get ahead in their careers like they were getting something out of it as a way of really dismissing the whole me too thing and it felt super uncomfortable because I was sitting there getting my makeup done by by other like a lot of a lot of women were in that room and but he wasn't challenged at all and I feel like it was really hard to know who whose place is it to stand up and go actually you can't like that's not okay to say that um but he was expressing his opinion very loudly as a powerful older white man in the room and I mean that film didn't end up doing very well which I'm I'm not uh I'm not upset about that um but yeah it's just to say that there has been pushback yeah and um that's that's understandable for people who are not used to the status quo being shaken up but yeah I I mean I just recently today saw some old footage of Chris Isaac forcing himself onto Cameron Diaz at the 1995 MTV Awards and it it, it was like in front of a whole audience that he was forcing a man in his 30s was forcing himself on a woman in her early 20s and and it was you know there was laughter and it was a big laugh oh yeah the same yeah. thing with Adrian
1: brody who i love but at that infamous kiss that he planted on Halle berry when she was going up to receive her oscar i mean that's that was a big laugh you know
2: yeah and it's it's had and i I've, I've, I've been encouraged by it. i think there's there's a i do hope that that a whole range of people watch the film she said and engage in the conversations around it because um yeah. How, how do people with with any amount of privilege use that in a in a way that is respectful and that isn't patronizing? How do they step in and 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 help redress those imbalances? I mean, um, it's it's it. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been really fortunate to, for the most part, work with really respectful teams that are very aware, or even like going the extra mile to make sure that those power dynamics are looked at, because there's so much unconscious bias as well that we're looking at. Um and that can be hard to, to shift away from if people aren't willing to have those conversations or speak out when it's uncomfortable. But I, I am hopeful that, that we are better equipped these days to have those conversations and well, move we forward.
1: Are, I'm not sure. I think, and we've talked about this on the show before, what what worries me is the soft shunning of people. So let's say that you had stood up to that director or said, Hey, that's not okay, or or something, right? Um, that you would have been not overtly um taken down but this soft shunning that suddenly your name isn't on lists anymore suddenly you're not getting called in and you're and you're to with to producers and directors who you have worked with before i mean it can be this very um velvet gloved punch in the face you know um that's what i worry about uh for anybody who speaks out um but um I have to I just wanted to share with you, Rena, that one day I did um see Harvey Weinstein in person once. <laughs> I was um working uh, as an intern at a very big casting for a very big casting director who had his office in Tribeca. And I was walking down the street and um I was pregnant at the time with twins, and I was walking down the street and Harvey was outside of this Miramax office. And he's just, you know, you just know him when you see him. It's really hard to right. recognize him. And he was out there and he was smoking and he was on the phone and he was like screaming at somebody and he was, he was just taking up so much space, space. You know, yeah. so much space. And like, I, I just remember walking past him and like, I, I, I remember instinctively like covering my hands, my, my belly with my hands as I kind of tried to get around him. Like, oh my God, you know, there was something very just, just a lot. He was a lot. And I can't imagine then having to be with him on a daily basis in rooms with closed and locked doors. Like my, my friend Sarah Ann Mus was in literally in a locked room with him. Um, and she couldn't get out. I mean, it's just, just we love Sarah Ann. She's amazing. (laughs) She is, she's a force. Um, she is a force. I wanted to say that the, near the end of the movie, there's a beautiful sequence of scenes of flashback. There's flash flashbacks throughout the whole movie, but near the very, very end of the movie, there's a flashback and I wanted to get all of your reaction to it where, um, you've heard, you know, we've seen all these victims crying and, and having a horrible time and struggling at the very end of the scene, there were this, these the sequence of scenes, um, where your character, um, Rowena kind of wakes up from her bed and, and opens the the shades and and the sunlight comes in and right. and then other characters are these just little moments of hope, you know they haven't had to they haven't taken down Harvey Weinstein yet but but they still they are surviving they are moving forward with their lives and that i think that scene moved me mm-hmm. so much more mm-hmm. than than others yes um, and i love that it was included cuz it's a sequence that could easily have been shut Yes. Shut down yes. and cut out. And I just yeah. wonder. And I, I, it was, it was, so, it was also, okay.
4: So actually, opened the curtains in the hotel. What, what I wanted to say in earlier versions of the script, there were much more explicit so-called redemption scenes. Um, they were, mu- they had much more agency. You know, they might have. Um, you know, I think that there was discussion that it might be Zelda as an activist, or uh, it would be clearer that Rowena had got up from a hotel room bed where there was a discarded wine bottle and a bottle of pills, and she was going to she had decided not to try to commit suicide in that room, but she was going to go out and look for help. And I think that they were much more explicit. And I personally really love the fact that they were dialed back and a bit more ambiguous. Mm -hmm. So it is not apparent that uh, the character that Ashley is playing is overcoming a suicide and deciding to, say, call a therapist, for example. Um, I think that that subtlety... Means that each audience member, and frequently our audience members are women who have, to some degree, have experienced some sort of sexual assault can take, can take a meaning, uh, and, and create meaning out of that little scene for themselves. But I will say that I think, uh, People who watched the movie have reacted in many different ways. Some people don't like the ambiguity and they say, I don't understand what that sequence was about, where Zelda got out of a taxi cab and Rowena opened the hotel room. It didn't seem to mean anything and it didn't bring any closure to the story. And other people, I will say, I think predominantly people who have experienced sexual assault love the open-endedness. And they say, in my own assault story, there is no ending. There's no concrete moment where... I feel like I'm now over what happened to me and I can move on. And so the fact that those scenes are so subtle and open-ended, I think pays homage to the fact that for a survivor, we'll continue to live this as a daily reality and that some days will be better and some days will be not so great, but our story will continue for as long as we are on earth. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm, Well said. Angela or Ashley, did you have any thoughts about that sequence or anything else?
2: I feel that, yeah, I agree that just having allowing the audience to have some imagination or, or bring whatever, take whatever from it that they that they need. I think is really important to have that space, and um, and I and I do like that there's a lighter, hopeful note to it that opens up space for for for, for light beyond the darkness, and I think that is. For me, as a storyteller, something that I'm passionate about is how stories can sh- shine light in dark places, and 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 how we can find that that truth and that resilience that we all have, um, without oversimplifying it either, because it doesn't always tie up neatly in a bow. And so, um, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm curious to hear from Ashley as well.
3: I appreciated it because as I've seen Rowena do all these press. Pieces um, before the movie has come out and after it just it is a very interesting journey that is continuous and it's constant for I believe a lot of assault survivors and so I appreciate that it's open ended and I appreciate that it gives a sense of hope because I think change comes when there is a feeling of hope that empowers enough people to use that hope and turn it into some kind of action to find clarity to look for leadership in creating a new system that will protect survivors, that will um, take power away from enablers and kind of break down what we currently have. So I do think the hope is extremely important for people to feel after this film because There might not have been all the change in the world that we want to see happen from this, but I do think the fact that we can have a conversation, that you can take a friend to the movie and have a conversation, open up about what has happened to you or hear what has happened to them and sort of discuss not just what has happened, but how you feel about it now and what you can do now. I think that's the most important thing to take from this film. So I appreciate the open-endedness for sure.
0: You know, it's a small world. I was transiting back from um, from Bali uh, just a few days ago and I was in the airport at Denpasar and I happened to be just sitting in a cafe having lunch and drinking coffee and uh, the guy next to me saw me making notes about our next episode, Lisa. But anyway, we got talking and it turns out he was an actor and a, and a, and a, and a producer. And I said, oh, you know, we've got this, um, we, we got talking about the podcast and I said what was coming up. Would you believe this? Uh, Like I'm still mind boggled. He said. So I told him about meeting you, uh, three wonderful women, and he said, "My very good friend was working in Hong Kong at a certain time. His job was to organise parties for. (laughs) Yes, this guy, right? And he had no idea
1: to organise parties for Harvey.
0: Well, you said the name, not me, but anyway. Oh,
1: okay. Well, yeah. There,
0: <laughs> anyway, about, yeah. yeah no, no, I'm just kidding. You know, we we, we put the focus uh, not on not on the offenders, but and nonetheless, anyway. So this this is a demonstration of just how much power is involved here, folks. If you if you listen to this, and we've heard from all three of these wonderful women, and particularly Rowena, who in in real life this has happened to, but this is another angle on it, right? So this guy was organizing these. These events in um, in Hong Kong, and he one of the one of the women came to him and told him that she wasn't comfortable. Blah 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 blah. But he didn't know exactly what was going on, so he started to caution the girls about not going to be do not personally be alone with this man ever. So one of the actresses that was uh, that went to a party went to Harvey's room. And jokingly, ha, 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 giggled and said, you know, um, I'm going to call him John. That's not his real name. (laughs) You know, John told me not to come here and be with you. Harvey just stopped, put up his hand and said, stop, picked up the phone, rang this guy on the spot, gave him 30 seconds of fire hose abuse and profanity and fired him on the spot. And he never, ever worked in the industry again.
4: Yep. That is exactly how it
0: works. he, He had no idea of the only later. Did he understand exactly what was going on? But he knew that something was – he just thought, oh, this is not quite right. I better look after these girls. He tried to do the right thing and was cut off at the knees. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. And I think people don't realise really how power – Lisa had talked a bit about the space that Harvey takes up. Sure, when you're in a room with a locked door, he's absolutely terrifying because he's a huge physical person that takes up space. But the emotional space that he takes up – almost outstrips even his physical speech. I watched him fire people on the spot on an hourly, minute-by-minute basis. And so people, you know, on Twitter, of course, there are always trolls. So they say, I don't, we don't understand Rowena and Rizalda. There's hundreds of jobs in film in the world. They could have just done another, they could have just gotten another job. Why did they feel like they had to carry on working for Harvey when he did, if it's true that he did such terrible things to them? I mean, you had to live it. You had to try and get another job in film to know that it was absolutely, once you are blackboarded by Harvey, and it might be for something extremely slight, it's over. You're never going to work in this industry again. And Harvey would explicitly tell us this. He would say, don't make me angry or you will never work in film again. And I never worked in film again after working for Harvey.
0: Yeah, he was right. Yeah? Yeah. Same with this guy.
4: We are not an exclusive club. There are plenty of people around the world that Harvey has blackboard. It's a real threat.
0: Yeah. Well, this guy, this guy never worked in film, and he he continued in event production, but in corporate world, not yeah. in film and TV. Yeah. It well, done. it's
1: everywhere. I can yeah. tell you that it's everywhere. Mm. And, and they are yeah. still out there. So your work is so appreciated, all of you. I know that we have a hard out for Rowena. And I know there's so much more that we could talk about. I know. Any I, feel other- like we keep I know. Going I know. For hours. Um, any other thoughts? I just love to throw it to you all to have, you know, any other thoughts that you wanted to express? Anything, you know, I didn't cover that you'd like to just shout out or what you're working on now? Anything else? Angela?
2: um yeah i i i'm reminded and inspired that that stories can be so powerful just seeing seeing the people who've who've seen this film and yeah i i i and i think there there's still there's so many more stories to tell um and i'm aware of um you know a few people including rowena i don't know if she wants to talk about it though but like just how, how do we how do we advance the understanding of these things that that are problematic and difficult to talk about. So um yeah, I'm still really interested in power dynamics and abuse, having survived abuse myself, like how do we how do we engage a wider audience in this? How do we how do we not laugh at it necessarily because it's not necessarily funny, but how do we claim some of that power back sometimes, which is through being able to see it in a different light. Um And so yeah, and I'm feeling really fortunate that I've 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 been able to work on this and I've got um I mean that and if it's like next projects, I've got a Apple TV sci-fi series I worked on called Wall, which will be out next year, which I'm excited to share as well, which also challenges a lot of different um yeah, yeah, I think that stories can be so powerful to to look at things in a different light and hopefully inspire positive change. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how this film advances that and 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 working on more projects that help do that hopefully
1: absolutely wonderful you'll have to come back on Angela and talk to me
3: about the Apple series I want
2: to to, talk all about it
3: Ashley my love I just want to say thanks for having us on I mean we are just a portion of She Said the Film Rowena's story is so much bigger. So to get the chance to talk about it, especially all three of us in one Zoom room, is is really, it's an honor for us to do that mm-hmm. together. Um, I just admire so much Ruina's bravery. And that's what I hope people take from this movie. If they're able to go watch it or stream it on demand is the bravery it takes to stand up, to tell your own story. And if you are able and have the space in your life as Rowena has created, to continue to take that story and use it to change the world in any small pocket of the way that you can Um, and to find the people who are doing it alongside of you and find strength in numbers and continue to be brave and to use your voice as such, because that's what Rowena has done. That is hopefully the purpose that we can instill in people by
4: watching this film. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. you. Rowena, did you want to? No, I just want, I thought what Ashley said was beautiful. And so I was just saying, thank you. Hmm.
1: Well, everyone, please go out stream. She said, go see, she said, I have the only criticism I have is that as a Bay area girl, that house, they had you, you living in Rowena. <laughs> that was not Bay area. I'm like, that's somewhere in New Jersey. I don't know where that is. It no, was right. <laughs> <is laughs> somewhere <I actually laughs> in
4: New Jersey. And it's pretty funny because, um, <sighs> Uh, The actor who plays my husband Edward also has connections with the Bay Area. Ashley has connections with the Bay Area. And I promised them over the holidays that we three are going to take a trip to the original house that we (laughs) lived in at that time. So I think we're going to try and stand outside that house and take a photo together. Uh, That's (laughs) amazing. Well, I. (laughs) My kids are actually really disappointed that that house wasn't used. And so one of their main points of feedback after watching this incredibly powerful, you know, world-changing movie is, how come our house doesn't look like our house? I
1: know. It? You just you just have to know. It's like, if you know, you
4: know. Anyway, exactly.
1: I'm going to be up in the Bay Area for the holidays. So anybody wants, I'd love to buy you
4: guys a drink. I would love to do coffee. So please look the, me up when you come to the Bay yeah. Area. I'm just based
1: at, in Palo Alto. So
4: at, if you're anywhere yes, in the neighborhood, that's where I'm
1: that would be, be awesome. It's where my, my, my in-laws live off University
4: that's Avenue. That's perfect. Yeah. Throw me a line. We'd la- anyway, I'd love to get together for
1: coffee. And all of you, Angela, thank you so much for zooming in from the UK. Ashley from Arizona, Rowena from the Bay Area, and Dean. Dean, yes,
0: getting so The crack of dawn. I know. Extra the, special
4: applause the,
0: for that. The the, the the dawn is breaking here in Melbourne <laughs> now, and uh, so it's it's like I feel like I've got a jump start on the day. And it's been a pleasure to speak with uh, with all of you, uh, beautiful women. So it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. All
4: right. Yeah, tr- well, true honor to be in a room with you all. Thank you very much.
1: All righty. Well, that's it. So for now, this is Killer Casting signing off.
0: Killer Casting is a concept created by her, Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. Audio editing by him, Sean at choicevoiceproductions.com. And our theme music, We Are Beautiful, comes from them. That would be Hollywood legends, amphibious zoo music. Until next time, Killer Casting out.